What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 171, on this Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Josh Callaway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Where's my snow? I was promised snow and there is no snow. We got nothing. We got some uh, little spitting precipitation. Nothing accumulated. Woke up this morning very devastated. No snow. Come on, people. Come on, weather guys. There's a ball on Blizzard here. That's stunning. Wow. The Oklahoma basketball team was so cold last night that you figured it would have frozen (laughs) over everything between uh, Fort Worth and Norman, but I guess not. I can't believe it didn't snow in Tulsa. That that's incomprehensible to me because it just came down snow all day here yesterday. That's that's, yeah. that's stunning. That I makes no sense. I even put uh, cardboard on my wife and daughter's windshields to to you know so they could get out for work yeah. early today. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> because you're prepared. That's why it was nothing. If you weren't prepared, like it would have been. I'd like to pretend that I'm prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's been relatively calm around these here parts the last week or so. Obviously, a couple weeks ago, we had a packed show. Last week, pretty much, it uh, went longer than I anticipated. This week's show, a little lighter, but we have a few things we want to touch on. We'll get to basketball later on, like Ryan referenced. Got some things that need to be said about that team right now, but we'll get there when we get there. Let's start off with the biggest thing I think that's floating around right now, and I think Oklahoma fans are probably the most interested to hear our takes on both how much we buy it and what it would mean if it were to happen. We'll kind of dive into all angles of it. There's Jeff Levy at Alabama smoke, and it's kind of just floating around. It's nothing too substantial, but Pete Thamel, who is obviously very well in the know in these things, said that Alabama is interested in, in Jeff. Now, we don't know much beyond that. Now, he said that before Bill O'Brien was even let go. Bill O'Brien has been let go. He's now actually going back to the Patriots. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, the wheels are in motion. Alabama is going to be in need of an OC. It's hard to know what to make of all of it, so we'll dive into what we think it would mean if it were to happen, but let's start off with just the obvious. How much do you guys foresee this being legitimate, or or how how concerned show you fans be, I guess, that this this could happen, that Jeff Levy could leave uh, for, for Alabama? Yeah, well, there's I think there's usually two ways to look at these things. One is where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. Uh, if Pete Thamel is, he's not reporting it. Now keep in mind, you know, he went on Feinbaum and said, um, the name I've heard is, and Jeff Levy, you know, if Bill O'Brien were to leave, this is several, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's, that's, that's one way to look at it. Okay. Smoke, fire. Another way is there's an agent out there who wants his candidate, who wants his client's name in the ether. So his client can a get a raise, B get a better job, more money for the, for the agent. That, that's the other way how these things work. So I think there's definitely smoke. Um, is there, is there fire? Mm, maybe, you know, if I, listen, if Nick Saban wants a, an assistant coach, I don't care who you're coaching for. Um, I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what the plan is. If Nick Saban calls, you've got to pick up the phone, you've got to answer, and you've got to probably go interview if he wants to interview you. Yeah, that that Alabama OC job's been a launching pad. There's a reason that for the most part, since uh, the Alabama dynasty really got up and running, guys stay there two, three years max for the most part, and then they take a job that they want. And Bill O'Brien leaving that job for an OC job, another OC job, but going back to the NFL, like, that makes sense, too. That's a guy that sounds like he wanted to go back to the NFL, was pretty successful on the coaching side, not that 
GM side, uh, Bill O'Brien yeah. was. And, and so, yeah, that's one of those things where Oklahoma, if you had dialed back the clock 12 months ago, I don't think Oklahoma fans would say, no, 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 you don't, you don't leave Oklahoma just to go to Alabama, OC, all that stuff. Well, hey, the Oklahoma head coach just got poached a year ago, right? What's to say the offensive coordinator couldn't go to what is a better job, which is the Alabama offensive coordinator job. But uh, when you start to kind of think about it a little bit, yes, it's Jeff Levy's alma mater at Oklahoma. That's one thing that I think Oklahoma fans feel good about. But the other one would be it was very apparent that Jeff Levy had no oversight from the head coach in the ways of Brent Venable's meddling or anything like that like i guarantee you brent venables was not telling jeff levy to have 90 second or less drives in the second half of bedlam that's not a guy that has the head coach barking at him left right and center all the time leaving that to go to alabama there's no guarantee that you're gonna have that same setup you're gonna have the same freedom on that side of the football all that so there would be a lot of stuff for for jeff levy to actually consider other than just the hey, this would be a, a launch pad for what I want because if you're successful as the Oklahoma OC, Brent Venables is not going anywhere because that means the team's doing well. You're also going to be a launch pad for whatever job you want. It's just kind of might take an extra year or two to get that thing up and run at Oklahoma. Yeah, I. it's hard because it is one of those few spots where you know Alabama comes calling, you have to listen kind of a thing. I have a hard time seeing Jeff Levy leaving Oklahoma after one year. Like Ryan said, it is his alma mater. He does have, you know, this is his offense completely. He's completely running the show here. Everything Ryan was just saying, he has all these guys coming in. And, you know, for it's maybe not fair to say, but he, he kind of would be screwing OU over a little bit if he left, especially if he took these players with him. Um, Jackson Arnold, obviously the biggest one. So I have a hard time seeing that. But you never know if it's a big pay increase, you know, who, who knows, you know, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Something worth certainly worth keeping an eye on. I wouldn't sweat it too much as you fan, but until it, until somebody's hired for that job, you kind of have to to worry about it. If you're Oklahoma, that's kind of just the way it is. So let me ask you guys this. If it were to happen, let's play devil's advocate. It does happen. How damaging is that for Oklahoma? How how bad does it look, first off, for you to lose their OC one year after Lincoln leaves, like Ryan said, and then. The ramifications, I mean, is he just going to take everybody with him? Is Arnold going to follow him? And what where does that leave the team in the program right now? Because there's a lot of people who kind of do the whole, oh, if he leaves, whatever kind of a thing. Because Jeff Levy didn't have like a first season that people loved. It would be not good, in my opinion. What do you guys think? Yeah, the, if he takes the, the offensive coordinator job at Florida or Penn State or, you know, even a, even a Clemson or something like that, you raise your eyebrows and say, what? But if it's Alabama... Alabama's got to pass with all these things. They do. They just, they're wow. that team. They're that program. So uh, it's, I don't think it would be like damaging, like to the, to the image, you know, it'd be like, crap, we got to reset. We got to go get another offensive coordinator. Hopefully one that Jackson Arnold likes. Cause that's the main thing here is what is Jackson Arnold? Uh, he's the foundational player for yeah. the next three years, at least uh, he needs to be, you know, assured that his offensive coordinator and he are on the same page. It's a guy he can get along with all that. But there's a, there's a, I think there's a faction of fans out there that believes strongly that Jeff Lebby was the real magnet for Jackson Arnold. And there may be some of that. That's true. I think there's another faction that believes Jackson Arnold picked Oklahoma because it's proximity, you know, it's, fans here. Now Peyton Bowen's here. You know what I mean? Uh, friends are here at OU. Um, 
I think he thinks that he's his own man. And he, this is me talking. I think he thinks I'm my own man. I'm going to go where I want. I don't have to go where any coach wants me. But the Jeff Levy thing is pretty interesting because he, Jeff Levy is one of the big reasons why Jackson Arnold came to Oklahoma. Yeah, I think this question's a little less complicated than it would have been pre-signing day. Now, Jack Arnold is signed. He's enrolled. He's in Norman, right? He's an early enrollee, all, all that stuff. Uh, you would think that it, even if Jeff Lebb were to leave, that you'd get at least a year for whoever the new guy is to work with him and show him like, no, 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 I, I know you really like Jeff Levy, but now that you've worked with me for a year, all this stuff, you can stay. On the image front, I disagree. I think that's a huge problem because Oklahoma does not view itself. It does not project to the world that it is less than anyone. And in back-to-back off seasons, your head coach left for USC and your OC left for Alabama. And the kids you're recruiting, they're not like us. They don't have the encyclopedias of college football knowledge that, uh, you know, they're, they're not sitting through watching random games from the 80s that don't involve Oklahoma or whatever, just because we like college football, a lot of what they absorb is what they're recruited to and then what is negatively recruited against them. So if you have anyone else come and sit in the living room, talk about Oklahoma, it's like, why would you want to go there? Their head coach two years ago left for USC, their offensive coordinator left for Alabama. What What's wrong in Norman? Why, why are these guys going elsewhere? Oklahoma says they've got all this stuff. They say they've got everything. They haven't won a playoff game. They haven't been close the last two years. You've got a new coach that's a first-time head coach. Look at what he did in year one. The last head coach left for USC. The offensive coordinator was there for a year, went to Alabama. Like, that's a huge image problem on the recruiting trail. And guess what? You're going to recruit with the SEC. They're not kind out there. They don't use the kid gloves. I think that would that would be the biggest thing. Now, you go out, you win a lot of games in year two under Brent Venables, and that papers over that image problem. But I just think in the short term, that would be – uh, I think that's a legitimate issue if if we're to happen in Oklahoma. Not that I think it will, but I, I do think that's legitimate, and that would kind of be the the sting on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it would be a, a good look for Oklahoma at all. And really, I mean, you can survive it a lot more if you keep Arnold, and I don't know that they would. It's hard to say. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I know Jackson Arnold extremely well, but I've talked to him twice, very far apart, when Ryan and I were at Elite 11, then when Hoove and I were at Orlando, and I will say that, I honestly did feel like he was a little more OU-oriented the second time. The first time Ryan and I talked to him, I definitely had got off the impression of if Jeff Levy isn't there, I don't know that he would be at OU, and I think he would maybe follow him. This last time was much more proud of the class they built, proud of what they got going on. He said the whole thing about guys want to be at OU even after they won six wins, all that stuff. So maybe, maybe he is signed for a year. So you would have a little bit of time to try and work on him for a year, basically pitch him for an entire season. but it's, uh, it's a slippery slope. We'll see. And where, where would Oklahoma go for the hire, too? That's a fun well, game to play, too. You'd have him for a year unless he goes the Jaden Rashada route where he <laughs> yeah. got a, you know appeals to the NCAA. He got a false bill of goods, and he wants a transfer, wants a release from his uh, NLI. Um, yeah, he's he's a guy that – it's a good observation you just made, Josh, that he was – when he signed or when he committed, I should say – uh, and and during early in that process, he was committed to Jeff Levy. He was committed to the quarterbacks coach. Um, but the fact is, he's recruited a lot of this class now at Oklahoma. He has taken ownership of being him. You know that guy that uh, that has been in charge of kind of recruiting this class, being the quarterback, being the five star quarterback that comes in and 
makes a bunch of phone calls and, and DMs other guys mm. and, and tells them to come to Oklahoma. He's that guy. So uh, good point that he would probably stick around at least for a year to see the first the, the next offensive coordinator. Going to be interesting. Going to certainly worth keeping an eye on. Stuff that we can do in uh, January. Speculate and uh, eyeball a little bit. So keep an eye on Like I said, until Bama hires somebody, it's going to be just kind of the matzo ball hanging out there. Um, so we'll see what happens uh, in due time. Now, Oklahoma did make a staff hire this week, apparently. Nothing's been announced officially, but it, it you know, he, he put some stuff on Instagram, and Brent Venables retweeted a thing. So pretty sure. James Skalski, I believe that's how you say it, hopefully. Linebacker Clemson under Brent Venables, of course, was a really good one. All ACC, all that good stuff. Just, I mean, 2021 is how recently he was playing at Clemson. He announced he's coming to Oklahoma, which is where his dad played uh, in, I think, the 80s. This is an interesting get, especially the timing of it. Um, obviously, a guy who just came off the field and was a good player. We don't know his role. Obviously, we assume he's some kind of analyst or GA or something to, to that capacity. But this is, uh, you know, can only help. Right, I mean, he's a good football player for Brent Venables recently, very recently. I mean, I don't know uh, entirely how much impact a guy like this can have in his his role, you know, but I don't know uh, how it could be anything but a positive. We'll see how it shakes out soon and when Brent gets to talk about it for the first time. Yeah, when when it becomes official, uh, it will it will officially be a good hire. Um, getting a, a young, talented, passionate guy like that, that – Played for six years at Clemson and was Venable's guy kind of for six years um, at Clemson. So uh, getting another eye, another set of eyes on the linebackers is going to be good, especially as you rebuild that linebacker core. Um, Ted Roof has been through a million, you know, linebacker um, job changes, I guess, in his career. So he's not worried about it, but uh, it would be good. It's always going to be good to have a young, um, energetic, um, enthusiastic, experienced guy, at least in playing the position, uh, to come in and be your GA or your defensive analyst or whatever it is. He's, he's a, he's a good hand, I would think. And, and he's getting, you know, he's young, he's getting his coaching experience started. So, uh, his coaching career. So he's a guy that's going to be do, willing to do whatever Brent Venables wants him to do. Yeah. It's not something that we look at and go, Oh my gosh, this move alone is going to get OU three wins. They didn't have last year. It, it's not one of those things, but it's a guy that played forever under Brent Venables. He'll know that defense like the back of his hand. And I think the big value of those guys right now is they're going to have to, what they do watching practice and, and watching everything that's going on, they're going to have to, once everyone gets back into the film room, fill that void of the maximum a person's played at Oklahoma under Brent Venables is a year plus now entering winter, spring, all that stuff. And so – if you have a guy that knows the defense like the back of their hand, he can step in and maybe fill that void of a guy that would normally, hey, I've been in this defense for four years. I know all the intricacies. Let me show you this instead of that. Something that the coaches are up here doing the 10,000-foot view thing. I'm going to show you you need to make this step or that step or, or something like that to, to help those young guys along. And I'm kind of curious, a question we'll have to have answered during spring and into next fall is, is this defense more willing to play freshmen as there are more experienced guys to help them along, if so, then maybe some extra analysts can help kind of fill that void just because this defense hasn't had enough time under Venables to have four-year starters or four-year guys that have been in the system. And he's a two-time national champ, 
five-time yeah. conference champ, five playoff appearances. I mean, this guy knows what he's doing on the football field. So uh, he brings a nice little pedigree to the uh, to the assistant assistant coaching staff. Right, and, and like you said, Hoove. I mean, obviously linebacker Clemson and linebacker was a a point of weakness for Oklahoma last year. It wasn't it wasn't exactly strong. I know that's Ted Roof's position, and it's supposed to Brett Venable's forte, and I'm sure he'll get it going. In due time, but it couldn't hurt to have <laughs> some extra help there after he had a year where Stutzman's year was a little up and down. Aguayo was in the portal. Now we're gonna talk about him actually in the next segment. You know, so it you know it, it couldn't hurt. So we'll see how that works out. And uh, like Ryan said, we'll we'll find out more about it whenever a it's official, and then when we can actually talk to Brent about it here uh, coming up in the spring in just a couple of months. All right, we'll take a time out. Come back. Segment two, got some transfer portal things want to touch on, as well as a big weekend in the NFL for the Sooners. A Sooners getting a ring. So we'll talk about that as well. Next up right here on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the all-star service agreement. 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, like it's been many times before, segment two, the unofficial transfer portal segment of the show. Got a few things to hit on here um, in the last week or so. We'll start with Micah Bowen. So he hits the portal. Uh, just this week, a grad transfer with three years of eligibility, which is like an oxymoron. I don't know. It's like hard to compute that in my brain. What a weird couple of years for Micah Bowens. He comes from Penn State. He has a decent spring game where he showed some flashes in 2021 of like, okay, maybe, you know, we'll see down the road, maybe a gadget guy or something. And just never even got even remotely sort of close to seeing the field. He was behind a walk-on Ralph Rucker. He was like at least the fifth guy or maybe lower on the depth chart this season. I don't know. What a weird – he's going to be a great guy in like five years to be like, remember when OU had Micah Bowens on the team, this really athletic kid from Penn State who just was so buried on the depth chart to a level that maybe I've never even seen before. He was underneath just concrete slabs miles long on that depth chart. What a weird run for him. It was a weird run. He was behind Ben Harris, remember? Uh, the oh, local walk-on. Um, yeah, just when we saw him in the spring, and you could, honestly, you could tell by the, the Twitter responses and the Facebook replies and all this stuff and the, the, the voicemails and the emails that we get that come in fan, from fans, complaints from fans, suggestion box, right? Why aren't they playing Micah Bowens more? Everybody wanted to know why aren't they playing Micah Bowens more. I don't know. 
I don't know what kind of practice he had yesterday or, or this week or who he's ahead of on the depth chart, who he's behind on the depth chart. Um, it's, it's bizarre, but again, we see him in the spring game and we see, and we talked about it a number of times. This is podcast 170. We've probably talked about it uh, 169 times, right? <laughs> Micah Bowens can run the football. Why isn't he a change of pace guy? Why isn't he, you know, he's an electrifying uh, athlete. Why, why don't you get the ball in his hands? Some maybe he needs to move positions. Maybe he needs to play slot receiver. Maybe he needs to do some. It's unbelievable how it just never worked. He's here two full years and never got a snap. Yeah, two different quarterback evaluators never put him close to the football field, frankly, for meaningful snaps. And if it wasn't going to happen in OU Texas, where the game plan was predicated around a quarterback playing wide receiver, bunny ears, wide receiver, just just being spread out wide and letting Braden Willis, Eric Gray, uh, Jalil Farouk, it, Marcus Major direct snap, then it wasn't going to happen. So uh, he moving on get to actually get a chance to go out there and play. It'll be interesting to see what level he he winds up at just because all he's going to be able to share is practice film. And I don't know at Oklahoma, based off how buried he was in the depth chart, how much of that practice film is going to be actually of uh, him running Oklahoma's offense versus the scout team. So uh, again, kind of kind of like we were talking about, the biggest effect next year is, I guess Oklahoma fans will have to find somebody else to gravitate to if they're looking for, why is it this guy out there? I imagine that'll be Jackson Arnold unfathomable to me that he the way his run went i mean he was at penn state so he had not one but two blue blood programs said yeah let's bring this guy in and like we said just completely buried behind walk-ons this is a scholarship player behind walk-ons it it, wild wild run for him so we'll, we'll see like ryan said i'm very interested to see what kind of a market he has um can he sell people on that athleticism again Maybe uh, we'll find out. So we'll, we'll let you know whenever he lands somewhere. But what a weird run for him. Uh, bizarre, do you, truly. Do you guys think in this case right here, would there be a market for a college combine? Where you you know you don't yeah, have the good. film, right? And maybe all the practice film, as Ryan referenced, is the only, the only practice film you have is scout mm-hmm. team. Maybe you need to go to a central location, Indianapolis or, or Kansas City or something, and have a combine and show everybody, hey, I'm still that guy I was in high school two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Might be something to think about. Give it, give us recruiting camp season 2.0. You uh, yeah. roll through on Saturday. We've got the high school prospects, and it's a bunch of recruiting reporters. On Sunday, all the coaches who uh, need to fill their roster with transfer portal holes, they descend upon a central location and uh, just do the whole thing over for college kids in the portal. Call it a day. Love it. Great idea. Thank you. I yeah. need to start get this ball rolling. Yeah, <laughs> sure, you can be the founder of the Hoover Portal Camp or whatever you want to call it. I mean, not that this is a good you know barometer at all, but when we were at practice in fall camp and stuff like that. John Hoover's camp for wayward portal <laughs> quarterbacks. That's what we'll call it. When we're at practice stuff, like Micah Bones is there throwing it around like he it's not like he must just not have an arm at all. Like he I mean he He's capable, apparently. I mean, he's at least competent in, in some capacity. It's just, like I said, unfathomable, especially when Gabriel was hurt. It's like, why not put him in just to run around? He's very fat. Like, it just, I don't know. There has to be more to that that we just don't get. There has to be, because it just, on its surface, makes no sense. Elsewhere in the portal, David Aguebu, who we talked about, I was very interested to see his market, another one of these guys, because most of the guys who have left OU have not really landed anywhere of supreme note. Theo East of Missouri, probably the biggest one. 
But uh, David Aguebu lands with Houston. So he stays within the conference, technically. And he's moving to defensive end. So what do you make of both of that? I guess, how do you absorb that information in terms of him switching positions and also, um, I mean, he's in the Big 12. It doesn't feel like a Power 5 because they weren't until literally now. But it is a Power 5 program now. Um, now we'll see how it works out for him. Maybe maybe that can be a, a good landing spot for him. We'll see. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I dream this. Did David Aguebu work out at defensive end in, a, in the spring, I think, of 2021? After being a, a kind of a bit player in 2020, they said, "You know what? We're kind of pa- we're kind of packed at, at linebacker. Let's move you to defensive end." I, I got the feeling that was a coaching move. I didn't know it was David saying, as he said in his in his uh, story uh, in Houston, uh, "I'm moving to defensive end where I can be my real self or my full self." If did I dream that? Wasn't he defensive end in spring and it just didn't work out? He didn't catch on? 6'4", 250. I mean, that's a that's a heck of a defensive end body. Well, he's he was a tweener in Grinch's defense. And if you remember, though, coming out of 2021 into 2022, the big storyline surrounding David Aguebu was in the lead up to the Oregon game in the Alamo Bowl. He had decided, he had committed to himself I, for my entire career, have been at one spot and mentally been like, I'd kind of like to be over a defensive end or rush linebacker or whatever it is. And coming out of the Alamo Bowl, he had said, no, 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 I am dedicated. I want to be an inside linebacker. And then when Brent Venables was the hire, that just reinforced it to him that, and I'm going to have the best coach possible to coach me as an inside linebacker. And leading into spring ball or, or in spring ball, when we got the, you know, a bunch of the player availability stuff like that, that was the David Aguebu story is that I'm dedicated to playing middle linebacker. I'm staying here at middle linebacker. I'm not looking to bounce to outside, anything like that. And he was productive, albeit far from perfect this year. I just think that this move to defensive end probably gives some insight into how that exit interview probably went with David Aguebu, where it was either a, you know, we had speculated last time was this say you can come back, but you're not going to those snaps that you played, like you're going to have to earn them all back. It's not like we're just going to hand them back to you. Well, maybe David Aguebu himself had said, okay, I did this season at linebacker. I realized, no, not for me. I want to go to defensive end and he doesn't fit Oklahoma's defensive end room. And so that may be made the, the decision easiest on everyone just to say, hey, you can go pursue defensive end somewhere else. And we're thankful for, for the year that you gave us here with the new coaching staff. Venables linebackers and Venables safeties uh, throughout the years, going all the way back to OU the first time, will tell you that it's a really con- – They ask he asks a lot of pre-snap recognition and understanding of concepts, what offenses are trying to do and how they're moving and how they're changing and shifting and evolving in, over the course of one play. They'll tell you, the safeties and linebackers will tell you, yeah, man, it's – it's unbelievable the scholastic element of learning Brent Venable's defense from from the linebacker <clears throat> position, all the responsibilities they have, and the safety position. So I could see where a guy is more of an athlete, wants to just read and react, uh, use his his superior frame and go get people. I could see where defensive end would be a much more comfortable position for somebody like David Aguebu. Yeah, I agree. I I, I kind of like the move for him. Uh, frankly, you know, he we've talked about it many times. Just few guys are as physically imposing on that team last year as, as David Aguebu. So just maybe just get him, you know, off the ball, just trying to get after the passer. Maybe that's just going to be better for him. Um, so we'll see. We'll keep an eye out for him. Um, maybe Oklahoma plays Houston. Obviously, the rumblings that we've heard, they don't. 
but maybe they do. And that could be a fun little thing to watch out for if it happens. What are you saying? The Big 12 schedule's not out yet? It's still not out. Still not out? Believe it or not. I think the 2023 season may start, and it's still not out. I think we may just be playing non-conference games like, where do we go next? I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. Yeah, one of our... One of our good friends, uh, Abby Bitterman, who who does a great job covering OU softball for the Norman Transcript Story with Oklahoman, uh, she texted me and she suggested that what the Big 12 is going to do is they're going to blindfold every team and say this is a designated road weekend and you'll fly somewhere and you'll find out who you're playing when you <laughs> land on Friday night. That'd be great. And that uh, in response... Uh, the home team will be sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And on Friday, they're like, congratulations, Oklahoma. This week you have UCF tomorrow. Yay. Because, yeah, the Big 12 is a disaster. If anyone thought that by OU and Texas leaving, this was going to be harmonious and all that stuff. Same conference that had no foresight, lost Nebraska, Colorado, A&M, Missouri, didn't expand the first time. Same old problems. This schedule delay is... The best evidence we have, to my to my estimation, the best evidence that we've had so far that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving early because they had their yeah. schedule set up. They had it, okay, you're going here, you're going to be down here, and then over here, and then uh, they had it, the matrix all laid out, and they had it all set up. Everybody's playing everybody. Everybody's going to get two games with Oklahoma and Texas. Oh, crap, they're leaving early. Now we got to redo the whole thing. So this is, uh, uh, I guess, exhibit A that uh, OU and Texas will be gone in 2024. Yeah, and you know there has been a little. Some people have brought it up and floated around. Like, is there any potential that this this SEC move could be coming even earlier than that this coming season? Uh, part of the delay, I don't think so. SEC schedule is already out, but it is it is baffling that the Big Twelve schedule is so behind. It makes no sense. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Maybe yeah, maybe uh, just kind of do uh, a Russian roulette type wheel each week, and that's how you just do it. Maybe OU ends up playing Bellum like four times. I was going to say, they should just play OU Texas nine times this year. That OU and Texas should just be like, screw y'all. You can't figure this crap out. You guys schedule amongst yourselves. We will play each other. We will make way more money than the rest of you because no one cares <laughs> about Cincinnati or BYU football, TV-wise. And uh, it'll be gold. Four in Norman, four in Austin, the one in Dallas. There you yeah, go. That's a great idea. And, it, and at least four of those yeah, uh, sure. at least three of those games need to be Arnold versus Arch so that we have an odd number and that we get a definitive one of them is better. <laughs> and we, we just call it that. Um, I was going to ask you guys, did you guys see, made me think of it, did you guys see in the BYU press box, did you guys see this? They put that big, did you see this, Hoof? Ryan did. They put this <laughs> big thing up of all the Big 12 teams. So, like, they're in the Big 12 now. It's this big Fancy thing. Every school's got their own plaque in the Big 12. And then OU and Texas are on their same plaque. They are splitting a plaque in the corner. So everybody got their own plaque, but then OU and Texas are shoved into one plaque in the corner. Pretty funny. Pretty funny little move there. It's like, ah, they're only going to be here for a year. So split it. <laughs> We're not, we can't pay for the plastic for two plaques. For one <laughs> yeah. can't, it can't be done. The OU logo is on top. So fans will like that. The OU logo is on top. The Texas logo is on the bottom. Um, another transfer portal thing real quick. I forgot to put on the rundown, but uh, Clayton Smith announced he was going to Arizona State. That was right after the show last week. It was like last Thursday, I think. Um, he's another one of those guys I was curious to the market. I, I feel like that probably for most of these guys, but especially him because he was such a high recruit. Uh, it's, it's nuts every time I look back at his profile. Number two edge in the class in 247 Sports Composite in uh, 2021. 
That's absurd. It didn't work out, obviously. He also signed up for a different defense than what is there now, obviously. Um, so he goes to Arizona State, which is a mess, for lack of a better term, right, right now. I don't know what to really make of that program as they try to get out of everything they're coming out of at the moment. But I don't know. Another interesting get here. We'll see Clayton Smith get to go against Caleb Williams probably next year. That's something. I thought Clayton Williams was going to be a star at Oklahoma, like a lot of people did. I do too. You know, uh, unbelievable athletic ability. They, they put him at tight end, slot receiver in high school, and he went up and made some unbelievable catches. The guy's just unbelievably athletic. Uh, you wonder what you know what goes on uh, in in practice, in meeting rooms, and in, in individual workouts and stuff like that. Why a guy with that kind of natural ability can't catch on? Yeah, it looked like he was going to be the heir apparent to Ronnie Perkins and Nick Benito, kind of in that rush in for Alex Grinch. Like Josh said, you flip over to Brent Venables, there's not really that spot in this defense for kind of a hybrid tweener to be that guy. And so uh, heading out to a spot that makes a lot more sense for him. And uh, like Josh said, we'll get to see Clayton Smith v. Caleb Williams. We'll also get to see Clayton Smith v. Alan Bowman in Game 2 next year as the Cowboys take a trip out there. Right. Alan Bowman, man. that's no. gonna be He's been around. He's been around. So we'll see that uh, next year. Oklahoma made it another addition um, on the recruiting trail with a preferred walk-on from Bixby. It's the second time they've done this. They went and got Jacob Snyder in December, and they now add his name's Kale Feudgate. He's a safety, um, so he'll be coming in. I mean, I'm not going to ask you guys to break down Kale Feudgate uh, tape or anything like that, but obviously another guy who you get as a preferred walk-on from a really good program in Oklahoma, which we talked about it many times has been an emphasis of this, um, this crew, this staff, Brent Venables. They've, they've put an emphasis on getting the guys in state and there are certainly, I don't know if there's a program that you're more better off taking guys from taking a chance on than Bixby, which is just run high school football in Oklahoma for about a half decade. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the high school scene. So, I don't know. Another interesting little pickup here. We'll see what, how it how it pans out. Odds are one of these preferred walk-ons that they get is going to pan out into something. I mean, it's like one of these is going to hit, I feel like. You know, one of them's already hit. Yeah, right? Freeman. Yeah. Freeman, right. So um, expect big things from Freeman uh, next year. But I, but I think you're right, Josh. You, this is a win-win-win-win-win all the way down the line for Oklahoma, uh, for OK Preps, for Bixby, for Kale Fugit, for all these – every element of this comes away uh, as a winner. Um, this is the, I was told he, on the best team in the, in the state, on one of the best teams in the history of the state, I was told that he's the actual MVP. He's the guy, he's the kind of the straw that stirred the drink, especially for that defense district defensive MVP and all that stuff, all state mm -hmm. type talent. Um, and probably arguably one of the two or three best receivers on the team on a, on a team where they're sending receivers into division one football regularly. So he was a guy that I think he had 12 touchdowns as a, as a receiver, almost 700 yards receiving. So very athletic, very smart as a football player. This is one of those guys that can't wait to get in camp. And what does it do? It keeps those arteries open to other okay preps powerhouses and certainly uh, to uh, Lauren Montgomery, Lauren Montgomery and Bixby. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Britt Middles talks all the time or, talked all the time this year about the scout team guys that they have to be the ones that are looking for a better spot, stuff like that. This is where the, it maybe I'm a little callous, but the, Hey, you give me 
four-star wide receiver or five-star wide receiver and the one that just loves Oklahoma is going to play better. And I'm just like, no, the more talented wide receiver is probably going to play better. On the scout team, the guys that want to be there and are just fired up about going in and doing everything they can to make that team better, that matters a ton. So like, if, that, if that's the worst-case scenario, then that's a really good addition for, for the team. And, and that's just assuming that one of those guys doesn't pan out, like Josh said. Lauren Montgomery as OC. If uh, Jeff Levy leaves, <laughs> why not stay woke? That could happen. That could happen. Only a matter of time before somebody scoops up that guy. He, Bixby is just unreal. So uh, wrapping up here this segment, and we'll get to some other sports in the last uh, last segment. NFL playoffs over the weekend. So it's funny because I mentioned last week, you know, the Jaguars were the only team remaining without an Oklahoma player on the roster. They then were knocked out. So when there were seven teams left, Oklahoma had already clinched that they will win this, win a Super Bowl from one of their guys, which is kind of wild. And now going into next weekend, I'm sure you've seen the stat by now, nine players on active rosters. That's the most of any program on Championship Sunday, which is pretty wild. That doesn't even include Tyrese Robinson, who's on practice squad uh, with the Eagles. Kenny Brooks, who it's weird. He was on practice squad, then they cut him. Now he's on some kind of future. I'm not going to act like I totally get it. He's on the Eagles, though, still. And... Uh, Grant Cogatera, who doesn't go in the books as an OU player because he didn't finish at OU. Um, but he's on the Eagles as well. So 12 guys, if you want to do that, are on uh, teams this weekend playing for a championship. Pretty wild, and uh, we'll see how it bears out. But a uh, big weekend for NFL guys. Joe Mixon, a big performance uh, once again for him as the Bengals got that big road win. So good stuff. We'll see what uh, what Sooner can come through with a ring uh, when, it, when we get there. I saw this question raised twice over the weekend. And it, it, the question is now the new dumbest debate of the season. <laughs> yeah. And that is who gets to yep. claim J- Jalen Hurts? Is it Alabama fans or is it Oklahoma fans? There's, there's a debate going on. It's just like, shut up. It's not a debate. Guess what? He played for Alabama for three years, did great things, graduated from Alabama, and then came to Oklahoma and got some great coaching from Lincoln Riley and got himself drafted. It's both, you morons. Stop trying to create debate where there is none. But who gets to claim Joe Burrow? LSU or Harris? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right. Uh, right. Th- this, if you've got no horse left in the fight, as I know a lot of people around here, big Dallas Cowboys fans, sorry. Um, look, we've still got a very huge possibility on the board, just like everyone always projected. If Kansas city and Philly both win, you've got a pair of former OU quarterbacks duking it out in the super bowl between Jalen hurts and Blake Bell. So yeah, just like everybody, everybody talked it up Two OU quarterbacks dominate. No, uh, that, that stat you threw out there, Josh, to the most active roster guys. And like, regardless of who it is at, at Kansas city, you're talking about, Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey being a huge part of what they're doing, right? Cincinnati, the running game, and then both in, in the NFC with what Trent Williams and Lane Johnson do, huge vocal, emotional leaders, guys that set the tone, as well as being phenomenal at their positions, even with Lane Johnson playing through what we think is an abdominal injury. Uh, a really good showing for oh, Sooners in the NFL here throughout the playoffs. Big, Good showing for Big 12 quarterbacks too, huh? Three Extremely. of the four still playing are Big 12 quarterbacks. Go Brocktober. Extremely. Yeah, with all due respect to Bobby Evans last year, um, whoever wins the Super Bowl, they will have played an instrumental role in it, to Ryan's point, which is you know kind of cool. Yeah, Jalen Hurts versus Brock Purdy this weekend. 
this happened before. We've seen this movie before. 2019, they played in Norman. That was an NFC Championship preview. Little did we know. The Eagles, and, the Eagles uh, need to sign that game by one point after a huge blown lead. Eagles need to sign Parnell Motley. <laughs> ASAP. Did he get away with P.I.? Maybe? competitive catch. They're not going to call it in the NFL to decide the NFC Championship game. That's for damn sure. Get Parnell to Philly. I'll tell you who didn't get away is uh, Brocktober. Brock Purdy didn't get away with not throwing to uh, Charlie Kolar. Charlie Kolar was wide open, as we all know. That would have that would have shocked the world again. Second, what second year in a row was that nineteen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that explains why Purdy's doing so well with the Niners. He has Kittle, and he's like, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, Kolar, Kolar is the Kittle of the Big Twelve for a while there, so that makes sense. Yeah, the Jalen Hurts going back to that. You know, I think a lot of the other cases like Burrow and they're pretty open and shut. It's pretty obvious. So I think the Hurts one has put people's brains just in a pretzel. Like, like who said it's both. And they both have a legitimate claim to him. He played most of his career with Alabama. That's, you know, he graduated from there, but at the same time, he would not be, would not be in the NFL without that one year at OU. Certainly not starting. Um, maybe as like a running back down the, at, if he stuck with Bama. So both schools have a claim to him. I don't know why that can't just be accepted. <laughs> it's got to be. A, it is one of those. It's raging the internet, and it's really dumb. So hopefully uh, we can move on from that. But I imagine it's going to just keep going, especially if the Eagles keep winning. So we'll see hey, how that goes. Let me ask you this. As long as we're we're talking about it, I started thinking about this list yesterday. You know, Oklahoma's got the, the longest in the nation streak of, of having at least four players drafted. I got to thinking about this. I went into the season, maybe it was middle of the season, and I'm thinking, well, this is going to be the year that that streak ends. But as I look at the names on this on this uh, o- OU's draft eligible guys, the streak's going to continue, right? The streak is definitely going to continue. You got Eric Gray, uh, you got uh, geez, Braden Willis, you got Marvin Mims, and then you got all those linemen, Morris and Harrison and Redman, uh, Jeffrey Johnson. Those guys yeah. are all going to get. Those guys are all going to get drafted. Oh, you could have eight guys drafted again this year. Deshaun White. Another, another guy that I think will test really well. And then I'm just going to get, I think, rave reviews from what he did absorbing the defense this year, Brent Venables. And we know a ton of NFL GMs love grabbing Clemson guys, all that stuff. Yeah, that that streak should be in good hands. I would think so. I mean, just Mims, Mims and and uh, Wanye and Anton right there, That that's three locks. So then you just need somebody to, and I would imagine – yeah, that streak's going to survive uh, another year. Now we can look forward to next year and continue to do the round around. Dylan Gabriel? No, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk about that in due time. In due time. All right, wrap up this segment. We'll come back. We'll go into some other sports. Some things need to be said about this men's basketball team. We'll do it next. We'll talk about the women who are doing very well, on the other hand. And we'll also hit some other sports as well. Lots of things going on right now uh, in these here parts. As we wrap it up next here on the final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners.
final segment of the All Sooners Podcast, episode 171. Give you some last few things here. Send you on your way. Before we get to other sports, I do want to pump real quick that Hoob has been doing a series on allsooners.com that is introducing you to all the early enrollees, guys who we're going to see in spring ball. Really, I mean, the, the most intriguing part of spring ball is to see the new guys more than anything. And who's been going through them one at a time, kind of outlining um, what to expect for Oklahoma fans, getting people a chance to get to find out a little bit more about them. So obviously that's a good thing. And uh, you can obviously elaborate more on what, what's been going on with that series and what you have coming up. Yeah, get yourself to allsooners.com. Click on the football tab if you just want to look at these these uh, you know incoming early enrollees. Uh, the series that we're uh, in the middle of, literally in the middle of right now today was part seven of a 14-part series. I'm not real big on 14-part series, but this is a, a, an yep, unprecedented 14. class, the, the number of guys who are enrolling early. Uh, we started alphabetically, but uh, despite our best intentions to stay alphabetical, it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, so we had to do some shifting around the scheduling anyway. We've gotten to PJ Adebore. We've gotten to Jackson Arnold. We've gotten to uh, Joshua Bates. Peyton Bowen, Kendall Dolby, uh, Caden Green, and this morning we ran uh, Dalen Smothers. Interesting story from him. He didn't even play football his senior year of high school, and I've been wondering about that, and it's not a story that's really been told a whole lot, so I got his high school coach to get in there and tell me kind of what happened. I say his high school coach. He transferred his senior year, so he never got to play for this coach, but the coach got to know him, got to you know welcome him into the, to the fold, and he talked about his leadership, and he talked about his role model and what an example he was for other young people. So yeah, strongly recommend. Um, we're going to have, uh, who is today? Josiah Wagner is today. Talk to his high school coach who is currently on leave, uh, maternity leave. I should say fraternity leave, right? Paternity, I guess it is. Uh, his wife just had a baby. So, uh, up in Seattle. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's home and more than willing to talk about Josiah Wagner Great conversation I had with him recently. So, yeah, check that out, allsooners.com. You'll get to know each one of these new guys. And then coming after that, we're going to do the same thing for the transfer portal guys. We're going to talk to people who know them from their previous stop. Yeah. So we're going to present that to you at some point in the very near future, hopefully before spring football gets rolling. Well, that should roll us all the way in. And then, uh, as we always say, you'll look up. And we'll be in the midst of uh, spring football press conferences and ramping into the spring game here, which is coming April 22nd before we know it. Yeah, no details yet. We did get the date, April 22nd. So mark your calendars, spring game coming up. Who was there a whole section in the Dalen Smothers one of, of Brent Venables committing a minor recruiting violation by saying his name? <laughs> That's like what I'm going to associate with him, his whole run. <laughs> that was something. I, it was great. I, when he said that, we all just because we all kind of know we're not nobody in that audience of uh, sports writers and broadcasters. None of us are in the NCAA rule book, but we know that one. That's <laughs> yeah. the one that we know. They're not allowed. We've right. asked him a million times about players. I can't really talk about. I can't. Really, I can't say the name. I can't mention them specifically. He just threw it out there, and then he's like, "I guess I'm not supposed to say that." <laughs> Yeah, I, it was funny too, because again, this season, especially with how the season went, there were a ton of broad strokes of, hey, how does your recruiting pitch change? And stuff like that. There was on signing day in the midst of the Bowen saga, right? It was who you had asked him 
basically like, do you have to keep the door open, all that stuff. And in that one, he was just trying to tell a uh, guy, I think you had asked him who just about hosting a big recruiting weekend and and kind of the tax that has on a head coach and the coaching staff. And he was just telling a story about, you know, we had one recruit, you know, Dalen Smothers. And he's like, we had one recruit whose mother had said, you know, and, and, and he just took the step back. Everyone knew it. It was funny. It was funny. Good stuff. I'll have that. That's associated with, with him for me forever. And uh, hopefully uh, Hollywood Smothers. We'll see what he looks like here coming up in just a little bit. So, yeah, check out that series on allcenters.com. Give you some taste of that football. There's not a lot of football going on right now. There's winter workouts. It's it's late January. So that, that gives you some football to uh, get excited about. Spring ball will be coming up before you know it, about a couple months away, I think, usually from about when spring camp starts. So we have lots of good stuff there to fill, fill that void as best we can in the meantime. All right, getting some other sports here before we wrap up. I'm not. We're not going to recap each game, obviously. Men's basketball since since the last show we had, things have changed tremendously. They've lost three times since the last time we did uh, the show last Wednesday. They got hammered in Stillwater in the second half in Bedlam. They hung around with Baylor, but it was gross. Couldn't get any rebounds. Lose at home to Baylor, and then got just blown to smithereens last night in Fort Worth. I mean, you got to lay it out there. The team is an abject disaster right now. I mean, it's it's really really bad. And they're two and six in conference play. This team was supposed to be better than last year's team. They're not. Um, and it started night one. Remember, they lost Sam Houston State, and it hasn't really ever gotten consistently better. I mean, this is this is a rough spot right now for this team. They they they're not the tournament. They I mean, they can still obviously make the tournament, but. Right now, they need to worry about just winning another game right now because it, it's not it's not good. Yeah, I don't know where Smither, Smithereens is. I don't know where it's located, <laughs> but that is an apt description for where Oklahoma is right now. Yeah. They've been blown there to Smithereens by TCU last night. That was rough. That was hard to watch. Even on ESPN Plus, that was hard to watch. <laughs> um the, the the Baylor game, you you leave that game, I think, thinking, okay, well, that, that was a, a, a quote-unquote quality loss. This team, they made some strides. You saw some good things. They just couldn't close it out. Uh, you know, you like what you see. And then they come out, and it's like Porter said at his post-game press conference last night, first time all year we have not competed. He's like, um, you're, you're, you're in the middle of Big 12 conference basketball. How did that happen? How did you get to this point in the season? Um, is it Sherfield? I, I sent you guys, I texted you guys a photo of a bodybuilder last night whose shoulders are like out to here. The guy's got a broad shoulders and he's been carrying this team for so long. He looked tired last night. He looked worn down, Sherfield did. So when you, you don't have that offensive punch and your best offensive player looks worn down, plays worn down for the what third game in a row, um, yeah, I think that's a bad combination. Yeah, I – I think this team has been covered up by the Big 12 because the Big 12 has legitimately six teams that are in the top 20, are top 20 teams, and are going to be circling around. And And if you just look at the standings today, like those six teams are going to cannibalize themselves. And we've had all these conversations about the toughest schedules, all this stuff. Guys, there are three bad basketball teams in the Big 12. West Virginia and Texas Tech are awful. Those are the only two teams Oklahoma's beat in the Big 12. OU is a bad basketball team. They are athletically far below par in the Big 12. 
which means that their bigs especially have to give you something else. We thought that was going to be the shooting for Tanner Groves. The league has figured him out. He is worse, less effective, excuse me, than he was last year. Sam Godwin does not bring you the same kind of size that even an Ethan Shagwa did, and it's shown. This team can't rebound. So last night, TCU's playing without Eddie Lampkin. That should have been the, the little glimmer of hope they could glob onto. Yeah. And they turned the ball over on four of the first five possessions and never even looked like they were going to try to compete to get back into that game. The questions are going to come, and Porter didn't like these questions last year. And to his credit, he never lost the locker room. That team competed to the bitter end. They weren't good enough, but they competed to the bitter end. The team quit in the second half in Stillwater. They quit. Uh, for down that final five minutes. This team quit about 15 minutes into this basketball game. Porter has a style that's gross to watch. If they're not going to win, there's not going to be any fans in there. So we'll have to see if he has any tweaks as far as pivoting to younger players like we saw the last five minutes or not. But it's going to be fascinating to monitor how this team plays out the, the rest of the way because they've been close, but they've shown over and over again they are not good enough to win those games. They're going to nick one, but that doesn't mean they're suddenly a good basketball team and deserve to go to the tournament. They're hurtling toward the NIT. It'll be fascinating to see mentally who stays checked in, who checks out, and if this just becomes the the freshman and sophomore show the rest of the way. Hey, the question is if you're scoring 50, 55, 60 points a game, and you're Porter Moser, and you're Oklahoma. You have this roster, and you have this coach. Who who bears that responsibility? Because 55, 60 points a game, 65 points a game, even in the Big 12, is not going to win you. It's not going to get you over 500. So who bears the responsibility? Is it the player's lack of um, explosiveness, lack of scoring ability, or is it Porter's style of basketball? Well, the, we can go round and round on that, but here's the the bottom line. Oklahoma's in the 300s in pace. There are only a handful of Power 5 programs that are below Oklahoma in pace. They're in the same neighborhood as Purdue and Houston. That's going to be the two that are held up. I know that Houston technically right now is on a Power 5. They'll be next year. I don't care. The, the two things that Purdue and Houston have that Oklahoma does not. Purdue and Houston, very different. Purdue has just massive size down low. They are old school as far as roster construction, center, power forward that are mammoths of people. Houston has size one to five and athleticism, and Kelvin Sampson has had years and years and years, decades in college basketball to have the bona fides to recruit those guys. Anyone that's watching Oklahoma basketball right now, what player wants to play in that? Porter micromanages the offense, so you don't have any decisions that's gonna it's you're in a set every single time and he's yelling at you to slow down, slow the pace down so I can call my sets. He overcoaches the hell out of the offense. Defense, they have to be perfect because if they're not, they're going to lose. And on top of that, this is the same conference where Iowa State and Kansas State have bottomed out and then reemerged in the past couple of years as legit Final Four contenders at the same time that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State's having the same problem, have just stagnated. Like you're not attracting yeah. any portal talent. You're not att you're not attracting any scores, anyone that can play the game the way that they play. It's just not happening. Yeah, last night was a boiling point because, to, to Porter's point, they have been competitive. They have had an ability to muck up games and make them kind of gross, and they're right in it at the end. But then at the end, they're not as good. So in the final couple of minutes, the other team makes plays, and they don't, and they lose. That's what they've done this entire season. Last year, they found a way to get a few more of these. 
But last night they were not competitive even remotely, and they didn't play with a lot of energy, and they were down 11-0. I mean, it was over right there. Texas Ryan, like, this game's over already. It's four minutes in. Um, and so last night was a breaking point, I think, for a lot of people. And so let me ask you guys this. We have a lot of practice in this area because we did it a couple times in the football season. We're not going to call for anybody's job. I don't feel comfortable doing that, really. Um, but I want to frame it this way, same way we did in the football season when talking about Brent Venables in the year that he had. Are the concerns valid? Like, is this is this going to work? Like, I mean, people are questioning that right now. Is this Porter Moser thing going to work, um, like, long-term? Because year one was kind of – he got a – year one was all right. He got a pass for it. He was a really hodgepodge thrown-together team. This year's team is his guys. The, the best player on the team is not even uh, his guy. Jalen Hill is a long Kruger guy. The rest of the team is him, and they're pretty much across the board underperforming. Um, is it? I mean, how, how concerned should fans be? Are, are concerns valid that this hire maybe isn't going to work? And, you know, Oklahoma's going to be looking for a new coach here in the next year or two. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, Josh. I'll just say it right up front. I don't right. know the answer. But, um, you know, year one, you get a – bunch of guys chased off and bunch of transfer portal guys year two bunch of guys chased off bunch of transfer portal guys do you get the same leeway you get in year one now that you're in year two because your roster makeup is pretty much the same thing you've got a bunch of new guys some of them can play some of them uh are, are going to be players later in their careers um at what level of patience does joe castiglione need to have with this basketball program right now i don't know the answer to that right and and here's the question spin off that what's the what's the marquee portal guy that Porter Moser's landed that's worked and and pushed Oklahoma over the edge because that's nobody right now it doesn't exist yeah it's nobody and so I honestly think the Porter Moser question is going to be is Oklahoma playing in the Big Twelve next year in basketball because if they are this is what the team's going to look like okay if they're playing the SEC we've seen they can beat Ole Miss we've seen they can beat Florida we saw last year that they were competitive with Arkansas and just not competitive with Auburn. So this is going to be a team in the SEC that is not good enough to hang with the top of the SEC. There are more bad basketball teams. So are OU fans content with playing a disgusting, gross, boring style of basketball, not winning at the highest level because they're not going to beat the Tennessees, Arkansas, Alabamas consistently. That's not going to happen with the way that this has gone. But, hey, congrats, you're, you can blow out Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. You can beat Florida and Ole Miss. Like, is that good enough? Uh, that's not going to be good enough to pack the Lloyd Noble Center, and it's going to be contingent on you. You're going to have to make tournament runs, and what we've seen so far is nothing to suggest that. So I think this is an offseason where Porter may have to look within himself and evolve a little bit. They've got to find a way to play with a little bit more pace, or he's got to bring in more athletes in the portal and actually play them and not let that go the way of Marvin Johnson and Joe Bamisil, who are the most athletic guys who can't kiss the floor because of how he runs his rotation. Right. No, it, it's it's a it's a dire situation right now. Um, my general feel, just on a on a broad sense, you know, I think Port Moser is a good basketball coach. Um, he is a psychopath in a, in a good way in terms of the t- amount of hours he puts in the facility, and you know it just kills him to not be winning. He wants more than anything to have OU rocking and that LNC to be packed. He wants that really badly. But the talent level on the team is just so clearly not up to snuff with the rest of the Big 12. And at a point, that comes back to Porter getting players here. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, I think he you give him more time. I, I, like I said, I do think he's a good coach, but – 
this team is uh, a massively disappointing uh, coming into the year. This was supposed to be at least that nobody thought they were Final Four good, but they, they thought that this would be a tournament team, and they're not. They're not right now. They're two and six in Big Twelve play. And like Ryan said, the only two wins they have are against the two worst teams in the conference. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And again. Oh, you had a 13-point lead in Lubbock and blew it and was saved by Uzon, a couple of free throws right, at the end. And right. then Jalen, like Oklahoma was on the ropes against Texas Tech, who is a joke compared to what the Big 12 puts out. And they were missing key players in that game, too. Um, so, yeah, it, it's not pretty. And number two, Alabama comes into town on Saturday. Holy moly. As just Besides the fact that Alabama is really good, they're also a matchup nightmare. They're so big and athletic. It, it's... I don't know. It would now. I say that I'm gonna sound like I'm talking on both sides of my mouth. It wouldn't surprise them to muck up the game and stay competitive because that's what they usually do. Um, but boy, on paper, that does not look good. And to Ryan's point earlier, you know, I, I tweeted this last night. We can probably lay off complaining about the crowds for a little bit because the LNC crowds. I've been very critical of that in the past. Right now, you got no leg to stand on if you're OU because the team is just not competitive and they don't play a fun brand of basketball. It's just. It's hard to expect people to come out for that right now. That's just the way it is. Yeah. That's just the way it is. The, so the crowd, the crowd is the crowd. The OU basketball fan base is the OU basketball fan base. That's not going to change. You got uh, national player of the year, and you got uh, you know a, a phenomenon like uh, Trey Young, and you've got Final Four teams, and there's still thousands of empty seats. So uh, what are they going to do for a two and six Big Twelve team? Right, they're, they're not going right. to come out. No, that's just not going to happen. So if that's your shot. Women's basketball can be your chaser here because they're playing very well. They're like the complete antithesis in every way right now. It's actually amazing how opposite these teams are right now. They play so fast, just points everywhere, and they're winning. They won Bedlam on Saturday. They have a legitimate shot to win the Big 12. They're in Austin tonight. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing when you think about what that program was a couple years ago and what they are right now with Jenny Bronchek. And when we did the show a, f- a few weeks ago, who wasn't on the show? He was coming back from Florida. It was with Ross, Ryan, and myself after they lost to Baylor. And I was saying at that time, man, what a disappointing loss that is. You know, that's a game you need to win. And maybe, like, this team isn't what we thought they were going to be. They haven't lost since then. They played really right. well. I mean, Jenny Bronchek, it's just you can't stress enough what an insanely good job she's done. They're, they're a good team. They're a fun team. They've won five in a row since that night. Um, mm-hmm. they play at Texas tonight. They've got a full one game lead right now in the standings. They're in first place, um, five and one, I think in conference play and uh, they play second place, Texas. So, um, it all, it, it's a huge game tonight. It'll all shake out tonight. Uh, here's the thing. Even if they lose, even if they lose badly, they'll still be tied for first place. So, uh, plenty of opportunity there. Um, one thing to keep your eye on Taylor Robertson, two away from setting the all time NCAA three point record, two away. She needs to hit two tonight to break that record. So um, I'll be watching. Yeah, for sure. And these are, th- this is the step that Ginny Bronchek and this Oklahoma team can take that, that they didn't have last year, which is not like a criticism on last year. Cause Ginny Bronchek talked about how they did it all at once. Went from like, Oh, we think we're good. Oh, we can really compete. Oh my gosh. We're in the thick of the big 12 race. And, and that was probably just too many steps to yeah. take at once. They were in a spot last year where if they could go to Austin, win a game, Oklahoma could really have laid down a marker and said, we're not just in this Big 12 race, we're in this thing to win it. Tonight, Ginny Baranchek returns to the scene, sort of Austin Moody Center, a little bit different of her technical last year that uh, they all joked about uh, in the offseason. But Oklahoma, this can be 
that you compare last year's results to this year's results and say, okay, you move this one over into the win column and that's really laying something down in a big 12 that is not bad by any means, but is, is more wide open since you don't have just the juggernaut of Baylor at the top this year. So that'd be really interesting. And, and two, in the two home games since that Baylor loss, Kansas and OSU, I think they've shown a lot of growth as they came out in the first half of both those games. It didn't shoot the ball incredibly well. They shot it better against OSU, but the Cowgirls were just, they were 6 of 11 from three in the second quarter, and that was a fun wide open game. And they locked in defensively in the third and fourth quarters and let that spur them over and didn't shoot themselves out of the game almost, which is kind of what happened against Baylor. So, so that's that bit of growth. Let's see what happens tonight. But it's just wild to see a roster that goes into every single game of Big 12 play is undersized and compensates with that by playing a wide-open, free-flowing style that's incredibly fun and engaging to watch. And, oh, by the way, they're probably going to host another NCAA tournament weekend because of that. Weird. I, I just Someone else could use a bit of that. I don't know who it is. Yeah, certainly on track to have home tournament games again, which is uh, it was a foreign concept last year, and it – will be again. It's it's nuts how far that program has come in such a short amount of time. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Texas game tonight, like who said, that's a big one. Uh, should be should be fun to watch. Wrapping up with some other sports here, kind of a roundup. Baseball, two guys on the Big 12 preseason team today, Jackson Nicholas, John Spikerman. Of course, if you remember their run last year, if they're going to replicate that success, those guys are going to be at the center of it. Um, so makes sense. They're in the Big 12 preseason team. That was just announced today. We'll wait on the preseason poll very interesting where he's going to land on that because they're not ranked in any preseason polls. They have so much turnover, you know, because people just don't know what to make of them, I think, generally speaking. And so they're going to be probably lower on the poll than people are, are expecting. And I imagine that they'll use that as a rallying cry. It's a team that we know all too well right here looks for motivation. They look for slights. And uh, they're probably going to get one in that big Joe preseason poll when that happens. Softball, number one in everything, total opposite. You know, we talked about it a little bit last week. They have the, the preseason Big 12 team is just basically their roster. It's ridiculous. And they're number one in every poll. And then women's gymnastics, uh, a win uh, over Utah on uh, whatever day that was, Sunday, in their home opener, raised the banner. So kind of a roundup there. What stuck out to you guys from the last week or so? Yeah, boy. Um, women's gymnastics and softball and now women's basketball lately have been playing like OU fans want them to and that they don't lose. They go up against whoever it is, Utah, LSU, uh, number one team, number two team, Oklahoma State in the country. They don't care. Whoever it is, they beat them, and that's what OU fans want. Uh, what, what was the saying we were talking about earlier, guys? Um, OU fans love it when their team wins. I mean, that sounds stupid to say, but the fact of the matter is that's when they that's when OU fans come out, go to the gym uh, to watch their team is when they're dominating people. they got their foot on that throat. Um, softball, I saw a press release today, softball, the, um, national player of the year nominees came out. OU's only got eight players on the national player of the year nomination nominee list. Eight. Absurd. Absurd. <laughs> they, uh, they were seven of the 12, all big 12 preseason selections. Uh, Tiara Jennings and Jordy Ball were unanimous, which led to a lot of like saber rattling from, how is Jada Coleman not unanimous? How is Grace Lyons not unanimous? So when the coaches get that, they just get 12 spots on the ballot. So like you, you just put, if you want to, if you have 12 second basemen, which wouldn't happen in this conference, then you can do that. I still don't know that there's 12 players better than Grace Lyons or Jada Coleman. I don't know how they were not just like 
Hold on. Let's roll through the OU lineup first, and then we'll backfill with everybody else in the Big 12. But uh, that's the problem they've created there. And Women's Gym had a uh, top three in program history attendance night with that uh, meet against Utah. So you can pack Deloitte Noble Center if it's fun to watch. Imagine that. (laughs) And you win. Uh, Bottom line, win. If you win, people are there. Is that how it probably should be? No. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, sure, the fans would come out no matter what and support. But that's just not the reality that we live in. You have to win or, in like a case of football, be really good for a long time. You get a little grace period with a bad year. But I promise you, if OU's winning six games in the next two years, Gaylord family's not going to be full either. Okay, it, it You have to win. So we'll see how that goes. Lots going on, obviously. Uh, winter sports, spring sports, softball and baseball are coming up real soon. Um, next week's show will be February 1st. So we're, we're turning a corner here. We're, we're getting close to, uh, some fun stuff. So we'll have that for you next Wednesday. We'll be back wrapping up the latest from OU football, of course, as per usual, latest in basketball, who knows what's going to happen this weekend that Alabama game, Ryan, that will be there to witness what could be very ugly. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll have coverage for you from Lenoble center on Saturday, women's hoops, recap, diamond sports, recap, all that good stuff as per usual next week. So we'll see you then. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And of course, you can watch the shows as well on his YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for us. We'll be back next Wednesday. Brian Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.